91.3 FM Stereo, the voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. My name is uh, Mohammed Fasih Peterson, and this is the program MJC Speaks, uh, usually on a Tuesday between 8 and 9 when we engage with the Muslim Judicial Council, various branches of this organization, try to understand a little bit more about it and also look at some of the projects and initiatives that the MJC has taken up. Uh, this evening, we're looking at something very serious, uh, and uh, that is around the issue of drug counseling at the Muslim Judicial Council and uh, today is of course International uh, Day Against Drug Abuse and Illicit Trafficking. That's the reason why the MGC Speaks uh, program decided to place the emphasis on the scourge of drug abuse in our society. Now although the MGC doesn't do drug counselling per se at the facility uh, or at the premises of the Muslim Judicial Council, uh, support is given uh, and available and uh, tonight uh, we speak to uh, Sharmila Adams Israel, an advanced trainer in addictions care. She is a marriage and family therapist as well and she's a volunteer counsellor at the MJC Social Development Department and director at Crawford Wellness Centre. Uh, with all of those uh, you know, accolades behind the name, Walegrita, Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the studio. Walaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Well, of course, uh, tonight the topic looking at drug counselling and the way that it impacts uh, on society and some of the things that I think are always uh, that, 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 that crop up tends to... Uh, when we look at drug counselling, people tend to look at it in the sense of this is something that you know doesn't happen in our community or if it does happen in our community, you know, it's in certain parts of our community. But the reality is that uh, drug addiction affects a broad range of people, isn't it? Whether it is social, whether it is economic, uh, whether it is racial or religious, across the board, people are affected by drug abuse. Yeah. Um, Assalamu alaikum, uh, listeners. Fasih, I think this evening I'm on a mission, and that mission is really to destigmatize what drug abuse is about. You know, um, there is such a huge stigma attached to people that use drugs, and it could drug addiction. It doesn't ask for race, religion, sex, creed, or anything. Um, it can affect anybody. It could be the doctor. It could be um, the peasant on the street. It could be absolutely anything. And I think that. The time of sweeping it under the carpet is done. Something needs to be done. And at the MJC, yes, we don't do drug counseling, but there are many cases with marriages that have been affected by drug abuse. And if I can just help one of those marriages, then it's a family that I'm actually um, trying to save. And that family has an impact on the whole community. Now, uh, speaking about that and looking at the family unit, I think we want to start the family. Families are generally, well, as I say, a microcosm of society. Um, and uh, we find that, you know, when addiction takes root there, all kinds of other social problems develop from that. Uh, so let's start looking at, for instance, um, let's say if we, uh, you, you've, you've, you've counseled many people and obviously you've come across a scenario where, you know, the husband is addicted, uh, who starts experimenting with substances. Let's just talk about the impact firstly on himself and how he transforms, but then also look at how it impacts upon his partner, his spouse uh, and, and, and the children if they are in that relationship. Okay. Um, I think it, before that, I'd just like to say that there are going to be times that I'm going to be, say, husband, and, and that's in no way um, that it's only men. 
there will be wives as well. And I know that you, you've said, you know, you're asking me about husbands, but if I do in any way, it's not being disrespectful to, to either male or female. Um, so having said that, the, 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 the answer is, you know, when, when somebody comes in and there's a drug problem, it is so huge. The family doesn't know where to start. So if it's the husband that has the problem and he's started experimenting, um, the wife, a, the, her first coping mechanism is denial. For her, you know, when she gets married, she thinks that she can save this, this man, she can change him, and that's the, the, that's the fallacy, that's the untruth. The only person that can save him is himself. The only person that can change is that drug user. If he wants to change, he's going to change. Nothing that woman says, the wife says, or the family says, or the mother says can, can actually bring about that change. He has to have it within himself to want to stop. He's made the choice to use, he's made the choice to pick up, and he has to make the choice to stop. So, so now, um, when, we, when we talk about that, and uh, we understand that, Obviously, we're speaking about males and females, but we, we own in on, on husbands because we see this case come through a lot. Mm. Uh, and, and we speak about the impact uh, upon the family. Um, uh, look, uh, we also have understand that uh, drug abuse is responsible for a lot of, of violence against children. And we know that sexual abuse is one of those things that comes up. Let's talk about the impact on children uh, in a home where, you know, one or both of the parents are, are, are you know, uh, are currently using, mm. uh, you know, substances. You know, the, the research has said that one in one addict affects 25 to 40 people minimal. That wow. is a huge number. So if that's 25 people's lives that have been affected, whether, it, whether they've actually stolen from the wife or stolen from the grandparents or from the child's piggy bank or from the neighbors, they've jumped over the wall and they've stolen whatever they could get their hands on or whether they've just gone down the road randomly to the neighbors and stolen from them as well. Um, and the employer. So it, it's continuous. And if you actually, when clients come into me and, and um, you know, I try to counsel them, the, the, actually the addict, I'd say to them, make a list of those people you have harmed. Whether it's stealing from them or whether it's physical harm or abuse, make a list. And it's scary how those numbers just increase. And sometimes it goes over the 40 people that they've affected. So if I can make a small contrib contribution and if I can change or get one person into recovery and for them to stop using, then, I've, then I'm making a change to 25 to 40 people's lives. And that is a lot of people. Now, um, if, if we take a step back and we ask the question, why do people begin to use substances? One of the reasons, I mean, um, uh, in a society where uh, it's, it's a broad range of people, because it's not just people who are in poverty, not just people who are suffering under trauma, but sometimes we find even wealthy people, people who, you know, don't necessarily have the same kind of problems that people living below the breadline do. Mm. Uh, they also end up, you know, uh, in, 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 a, in a spiral of drug addiction. So, so what, what drives people generally to, you know, start using substances? These different models of looking at, um, and I don't want to go too clinical, but these different models of looking as to why people start using, they could be, um, if you're looking at the biological model, it's actually genetic predisposition. So that doesn't mean that every 
user's father that used is going to be using. But there is the ge- genetic um, predisposition that if your father was a user, the probability is that there's a chance that you could use. There's also, um, with today's, with everything that's happening in society, not everybody can cope. Not everybody perhaps has that spiritual um, upbringing or that, you know, we, they can turn to Allah. Not everybody has that. And so this becomes like a coping mechanism, sadly. Okay, so... And it's, uh, sorry, it sounds like, like a real excuse. So, so, so when we talk about that, and then we talk about stigma once again, and uh, um, we hear these 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 terms uh, being uh, you know branded around or banded around, in, in, and and we see it in in tabloid newspapers where they talk about tukup and mm. you know button cup and all of these things. Um, when we use this kind of terminology, is this damaging uh, in in a society where we are trying to get to a point of view of looking at where we're looking at drug addiction seriously and trying to find solutions? Do these terms actually uh, act contrary to 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 what people are trying to achieve in in in, in getting some kind of resolution around drug addiction? It, well, yes, of course it does. Um, but can we blame the community? I'm a I'm a substance abuse counsellor, but the cases that you see and the way it impacts on on families and on children and society, as you have said, can you actually blame the fact that they are called druggies, they are called tikkupa? But if we could change that thinking, if each individual in the community could change that thinking, because at the end of the day, it could be my brother, it could be a cousin, it could be a loved one. It doesn't, it doesn't call, like I said, it doesn't call for class or caste or anything or religion. It could be anybody. It's somebody's child that is using. And so if we could just, as a community, I really appeal to the listeners just to think about your brother or think about your father. If he was using or if it was your husband, what would you be doing? If each individual in society could just really from the bottom of their heart, try to make a difference in that person. Stop calling them that drug addict or that tip cook and get them the appropriate help. I'm not saying going to go to every um, junkie, and sorry that I'm using that terminology, walking up and down, because there are those that, that, that have got an evil side to them. But there are many that have got a good side. And if each individual that has been affected by substance abuse can actually find it in their heart to get that person the right help. I'm sure that there would be a ripple effect and a positive ripple effect. When we come back from the break, I want to talk maybe about the process. So obviously, we talk about the process of counselling now, when someone uh, has admitted that they have a problem and, and, and they're seeking help, or when the family approaches uh, yourself or any other counsellor for that matter, or any other uh, organisation dealing with drug abuse and tries to you know rectify the situation. I want to talk about that process and unpack that for a moment. When we come back after this break, we're speaking to uh, Mrs. Shamina uh, Adams-Israel, speaking about uh, drug counselling. We know that uh, today is... Uh, uh, International Day Against Drug Abuse and so this evening we're looking at uh, this from the perspective of the MJC Social Development Department uh, we'll be back after this Live from Cape Town this is the Voice of the Cape 91.3 FM 
91.3 FM Studio. This is the Voice of the Cape. MJC speaks this evening. I have Shaimila Adams Israel in studio with me, uh, and uh, we're talking about dry counselling at the Muslim Judicial Council. Uh, now I want to speak about uh, um, the process of, uh, you know, when someone comes in and, 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 and physically counselling the person for substance abuse. What is the process like? So let's say, for instance, the person approaches you on their own. First of all, how often does it happen where a person who is affected by drug abuse actually comes in on their own as opposed to being brought in by a family member or concerned friend? Um, at the MJC, it's usually that um, the wife is applying for a fasa, or that the spouse comes in, or, or even the husband, he wants to talak the wife, he's found out that his wife is using, and so he comes in. And there's also, there are also those um, cases where the husband has just had enough and he wants help. So there's a counselling process in that takes place. Okay, so, so when the person comes in, firstly, what, what is the process that you take uh, someone through? And uh, obviously, um, what is the difference between that kind of counseling and then we call in a kind of inpatient system hmm. uh, that also that is quite, kind of prolific in this community as well? Okay, so when somebody comes in at the MJC, and I'm first going to address that, and then I'd also like to look at various interventions to get that person help. So when somebody comes in, um, we were trained as an addiction counsellor, you need to come in with as a guerrilla fighter. Um, so you've got to put all your arm on because the addict is very manipulative, he's deceitful, he lies and he brings all of that tactics into the counselling room. And you've got to be so aware and know what to look for and not fall for any of those tricks. So although you need to, you need to have empathy, um, you need to also guard yourself against um, his manipulation or her manipulation. So, so, so when you're talking about that, um, so uh, sometimes um, we know that in in a society like like the one that we have, um, it's possible where the husband is also abusing the wife uh, mm. f- uh, physically or emotionally as a result of his of his abuse of his of his drug use. So. Um, how would you deal with that? Would you be deal with that separately from the drug issue, or would you address that as part of you know the, the whole the counselling you know uh, mechanism? Okay, so what you are saying that if the wife is physically abused by the husband, by the husband who is using, okay, um, there are two different issues. We need to ascertain what is the, the 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 obviously when it's physical abuse, we need to see that the wife gets safety. That is number one. Um, and then dealing with his, his um, if anybody comes in, you need to assess the person and actually ascertain the severity of it. So depending, um, and you need to be skilled to know what to look for. So depending on the severity of it, he then or she then needs to either go into an inpatient um, and, or an outpatient program. Or even just see a, a counsellor, because it, like once again, I'm saying it depends on the severity. And so now, um, you know, in, in, in an environment like this, uh, how often would it be that you might also see the children as part of this guy? Because when when you're counselling, when you're counselling, for instance, the husband, or you're counselling the wife in an incident, incident where they are the person who is using. Um, sometimes people bring their kids. Yeah, yeah, along with them. So how do you deal with that? Because obviously the kids have been exposed sometimes to violence. They've been exposed to the parent using in front of them sometimes. Mm. Um, 
I also do play therapy. So, you know, children can't usually, sometimes they are, they are young kids, and they can't, um, the, their manner of communication is through play. So when I deal with the young children, I, we do different modalities, whether it's sandrays or playing or art, um, so that they can actually express what it is. So they might be drawing a picture and expressing exactly what it is that they're feeling. And through that expression, they are able to heal. It's, not, it's it, like any healing or recovering process. It takes time, lots of time. And you have to have that understanding and that, and that gift to be able to connect with that child. Because no child is just going to open up to a stranger. Now, um, the, then also, how often, how often do you um, engage with the, 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 the person who is, who is using, let's say for instance, someone comes in for counselling. Um, they end up in an inpatient uh, you know, uh, institution uh, where they, they would be, go through a particular programme. Um, how often would you, would you actually look in on the situation from time to time? Um, you know, would, you, would you look at the progress of the person? Uh, what would be the engagement you know, thereafter to see if the person is sort of towing the line or if they've fallen back into, into the, the cycle? Okay, so it's, it's different at the MJC and in my private practice. If I was in my private practice, I would be obviously checking up on, on my client. Um, at the MJC, I refer them. Um, so if it is the, let's use the scenario that it is the wife that is coming in and she's applying for a FASA, I then find appropriate um, intervention methods for the husband and we'd place him or I would place him or refer him into a, a treatment facility and then actually deal with, um, with the issues at hand. We also do counsel or try to educate and it's very important that the, the family needs to be educated so even when even when you are let's just look pre-marriage if the wife the soon-to-be wife if she's coming in and she wants to get married and she's got this you know this philosophy that she can change him um we need to then educate her or i educate her as to say you know you need to know what to look for you need to be vigilant um if you do not educate yourself, you are heading for disaster. When you do marry the person and all of these, you start finding out that he's using and the lies are setting in and he starts stealing from you. What do you do then? So now when you are aware of, let's, I'm just using an example. If he's using heroin, you know what you're supposed to look for. This night sweats, the blackness under the eyes, the scratching. So those are all the things that you as long as you are vigilant and as long as you are putting systems in place um, with, your, with your spouse, you'd, the, the success rate is, is, um, is higher. And then also, um, and I think this is one thing that I think is so key uh, when we talk about, and I want to go back to the issue of stigma. Um, Within society, uh, there's, always, there's, there's always this idea that let's, you know, let's gossip about the people, let's talk about the situation amongst ourselves. Mm. But what can the community do as a whole, um, especially in a situation where there is an issue of drug abuse, but the wife is perhaps too scared, too afraid to go forward, or she, or she, or she feels disempowered in, in the relationship? Um, what can the community, what can the society do as a whole okay. to help, you know, address that and help get help to the person and, and, and change the situation. Okay. I think the first thing that, that, that the listeners need to, to hear is that with addiction there's a lot of shame and guilt. Not just for the user, but for the family as well. And if that stigma could, if we could destigmatize that, that 
it could happen to anybody. And if you could equip yourself in knowing what to deal with it. So what are the ways of equipping? And if I can just run through that is um, if the person goes into and I need to stress this, please. When the individual goes into treatment, what usually happens is they do a 30 day primary care. They which I feel is that's really just the detox families run and buy them a pirotakis. They are so grateful. That family is, and I'm sure many of the listeners can actually relate, and they're probably putting their ear close by just to listen. So what I'm going to say to the families is, do not buy them takis. Do not spoil. You are grateful things, you know, you're seeing a bit of a glimmer of hope. You're seeing that there's the, the person that you knew once before he used or she used, and so now you want to start spoiling. Don't spoil. Because the first thing when, and if they do relapse, they're going to sell their tackies. And then once again, you're faced with all of that resentment and that anger and that hurt. So if I can just go through, the, through a list is don't spoil, listen attentively, be vigilant, don't give money. I mean, why families give money is I, I just can't understand that. And that's also part of not being educated and not knowing what to do. So the families think, Go to rehab, that's the thing that they need to do, and they take a back step. No. You need to educate yourself in dealing with this. Also, uh, monitor your, um, your loved one. Be vigilant. Know what the signs are, depending on the, on the drug of choice. Do regular testing. Um, and then also have a contract in place if, and boundaries. Be very, very rigid with your, your boundaries. So if you're saying, if you're going to do this one more time, I'm going to do this, then stick to that boundaries. Because the minute you push those boundaries further, they already know it's a walkover. And so that feeds into the manipulation. And then also, you know, in the, the process of uh, rehabilitation, how important is spirituality? Um, how important is a sense of, you know, uh, connecting with the Creator in order to uh, develop a, a a mechanism that helps you get over uh, addiction? Mm. That's a very important um, question. And so as I've given the guidelines to the families and some a little bit of education, just the tip of the iceberg of what the family should do if, if their loved one is using, the, these are the guidelines that I'd give to anybody that is using. Um, spirituality is, I believe, the core. There are, there's a lot of things that if you are using that you should be doing. Like you should be attending uh, meetings, and that's the NA meetings or any 12-step meeting. Um, you should, at, in the evening, when you are all alone, you should be journaling or doing an inventory. Like, you know, what have I done for my recovery today? Or what can I do tomorrow to make things better? Um, you should find a sponsor. So in the NA 12-step meetings, um, they would suggest to you to find a sponsor. And that is like a lifeline, somebody that you can turn to at any time when you have a craving or you feel like you want to go and use. Um, there's also the aftercare and integration. So that's very important. Don't just think you can send your addict into rehab and come out 30 days later and he's cured. He's not going to be cured. This is lifeline. This is, sorry, this is a lifetime disease. Um, and then... Also going for your counseling, your aftercare, and having that spiritual connection. Because if you don't have that spiritual connection, if you cannot connect to a God, a higher power, a higher being, or more importantly for us as Muslims to be able to connect to Allah, Taala, then I don't think there's going to be any success in there. 
There's a message that's come through. Assalamu alaikum. Brilliant point by the sister when she said a partner can't make the change. It's the user that needs to want to change. Just a quick question. What? When does a wife stop trying when her husband just doesn't want to change? Couple marriage for 12 years. He has been a user since before marriage already. Each time the wife goes for fasak, she's still to go for counseling. Shukran for great topic. So obviously, I mean, uh, I, I don't know if we can tell the person when to stop. Mm. But I mean, uh, from, from, from your point of view, how would you then advise the, the 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 wife in this situation to deal with uh, the and, and and to kind of is there some kind of ultimatum she can give the user? Hmm. Ultimatums. If you're going to make an ultimatum, you need to stick to it. So if you're saying if you don't get help, I'm going to leave, then if that person doesn't get help, then leave, because it's an ongoing, it's repetitive, it's going to be, it's like a vicious cycle. Um, and the question about, you know, uh, you, what was it, 12 years he's yes. been using. If you've made that decision, for anybody out there that's listening, if you made that decision, you're going to stay in this marriage. You need to take it with, with all your armor. If you're not cut out for it, then don't walk away. I'd say run away. <laughs> On that note, uh, we're going to go for a break. We're speaking to uh, a counsellor, uh, and that is, of course, uh, Shamila Adams-Israel uh, in the MJC Speaks program this evening, talking about drug counselling. Uh, when we come back, we will continue. Stay tuned. You listen to the stem of the car of 91.3 and 95.8 FM stereo. 91.3 FM Stereo, the voice of the Cape, and uh, we've got some questions coming through. This one says, or uh, some responses coming through, and I think earlier on we mentioned this, but I just want to maybe address this person who's saying, and let me just get to the bottom of the comment. Uh, it says, Salam Fasih, and please use my comment on here. Salam, there are many women who would use drugs while men being stigmatized. I think we addressed that earlier on, saying men and women mm. both use uh, substances, and basically what we were saying here is that it, most of the cases that that generally comes through the door is 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 is, is uh, of the MGC is usually the husband, uh, you know, when it is issue of talaq or when it's, it's something else. So we are using that as a model, but we understand that women also use drugs. We're not saying that uh, it's 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 we're not saying that it's only males. So yeah, uh, we have addressed that one. This one says, "Salaamu alaikum." If you want to leave your husband because of constantly drug abuse and manipulation, but you feel afraid as what will happen to him when you leave the marriage or you go on the road and become a complete drug addict you can do that to stay on your conscience forever as a wife for leaving him shukran so this is this is a situation where the wife is saying if she leaves him mm. um and uh she's afraid that his life will completely go off the rails because he's using uh but there's some kind of uh should i say there's some kind of normality yeah. uh, to the situation um but uh, if she leaves him she's afraid that he will completely go off the rails and he will no longer uh, he, will, he will live on the street basically um but now uh, we ask the question is that Whose responsibility is it to look after to look after the the the, the spouse who is on on, yeah. on drugs? Um, just in in um, in answer to that, you know, as the as the family members, whether it's the the, the wife or the husband, what, whoever's been affected by the addiction, they develop um, what you, we call codependency. So they become the co-addict, and they and that's just a coping mechanism, and they resort to. As, as ill as the, the addict is, that's how ill the co-addict becomes. 
Because you, the person that's been affected by another one's addiction, you develop crazy mechanisms um, to be able to cope with everything that you have to endure. And sadly, you become as ill as that person, sometimes even more ill. So as much as the, the, the addict needs the help, the family member also needs that help. And there's just something that I, that I feel is also imperative that I need to mention, is that when, when the, um, the addict goes into rehab, um, and I'm sorry that I am using again him, when, when the individual goes into, into rehab, um, the family are so busy paying the rehab that they actually forget about those that are left behind, and especially when they are children. So instead of perhaps paying the rehab and giving a percentage or giving or seeing to the needs of the children, because that was the breadwinner. So who actually needs to see to these kids? There's food that needs to be paid. There's school fees that needs to be paid. There's, um, there's bills that needs to be paid. Who actually sees to those children? And if it is a son that's in the rehab, the parents are actually paying the rehab, but they're completely forgetting about those children and the wife. And that is, I, I feel that is so unfair. They are the needs of these kids because these kids have been gravely affected. Um, there's another, another message that has come through, a person saying, good answers from the counselor, 12 years, and you're still in the marriage. And this person's asking the question, you know, uh, doubting, uh, uh, you know, why a person would still put themselves through that. But you've mentioned that some people use they, those coping yes, mechanisms. Yes, the coping mechanism, which is like an, another illness. It's codependency. Um, but coming back to the, the, the whole issue of the wife and the kids, and I think this is crucial because this has never spoken about. It's always around the addict. The whole mm. thing is developed around the addict or, 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 or built around the addict. If the person's going to get better or if they're not going to get better, if they go to rehab and they come out and they're rehabilitated or, uh, you know, they, they, they return to a normal life. Um, but no one really thinks about what happens to the wife and kids because that's the breadwinner sometimes. Yeah. Uh, the breadwinner yeah, develops a drug problem uh, and he gets taken to rehab. He take, gets taken out of the picture so there's no money financially, there's no support coming in perhaps the wife or small children I as mean, well. Fassi, wouldn't it be wonderful if there was actually a treatment center for the wife exactly. or even for the children? Exactly. Because, because these kids have to fend for themselves. Mom is, um, she's besides herself because she needs to figure out how she's going to be paying bills. And these kids have to just fend for themselves. So isn't it then a norm that these kids would be acting out in various ways, whether it is academically or even at home behavioral issues? And then that's another issue. And also sometimes, um, do you see that, uh, if a father's been using for a number of years, um, do you find also that the kids, having been exposed to that environment, start to experiment with drugs themselves? Yes, sadly, many a times. And besides, besides them also seeing, there's also that biological unseen link. Um, if it was, if we were to look at it from a biological model, um, that they are predisposed. So the the probability is higher this child would also become, would also resort to not just drug, but any other sort of addiction. Uh, there's another message to Saddam. It's sad, uh, but you have to be in that situation. It's a terrible experience. You can only help them if you want to be helped. Um, the, the question is then, um, you know, with rehabilitation, uh, how key is the willingness of mm. the addict to want to change? Because everyone want, around the addict wants them to change. But how key is it for that individual uh, to to have a desire 
to get out of the situation? There must be willingness. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar, and I'm probably going to be shot down for saying this on air, but I think it needs to be exposed. And I, I think that family members know this because they do it. So when the individual doesn't want to go for help, there's a team that comes and picks them up and places them in rehab whether it's willingly or unwillingly and the things that that happen in these rehabs it's 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 inhumane and this is a place where you are supposed to be getting care and professional help and healing and recovery it doesn't happen you're placed into a rehab where there are 90 people living in a a squalor it's pathetic but parents or families put them there. Why? They are placed there because they would rather know that the addict is safe than be on the road using where they might be killed or placed into jail. And that is the reality of how sick this drug addiction has become. So, 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 so what you're saying is that, um, and okay, I, I the, the, uh, there have been instances uh, that we've been exposed to where, you know, people uh, have taken the addict physically, uh, you know, and, and like you're saying, teams of people have come saying, you know, this person needs to be sorted out. The heat squad. He's, he's catching on yeah. nonsense. He's turning his parents' life, up, life upside down. So whether it's the brothers, whether it's the friends, uh, together with the permission of the parents, they take the person and put them in the rehab. But the key thing that you've mentioned is the choice is not there mm. to physically do it themselves. So, so that person feels under duress. So when they come out, they've never taken the steps to really uh, say, you know what, they, this person's going to, is going to, you know, take charge of their own destiny. It's sort of like, you know, they put them there and once they're yeah. out, it's like being a, a freeing a caged animal. Yeah, but you, I, I think I just want to share some, maybe some, some, some stories. It's not necessarily anything that has taken place at the MJC. Some of them have. Um, in my private practice, I had a client and he was taken by full force by a hit squad. He was beaten up. He's one of those very success stories. Alhamdulillah, he is six years clean. Um, and those are one of the success stories of being forced into, into treatment. Um, but it took a lot of hard work and a lot of counseling. And it wasn't just about going into a rehab for 30 days and you're out. Then there was aftercare, there was reintegration, he was placed into a sober home as well. Um, so there was a lot of continuous maintenance um, and hard work. And eventually he wanted it as well. Um, but, you know, I, was, I said earlier about what we can do as, as a society. I, um, not too long ago, I saw this youngster walking on the street and... I caught his eye because of this hari scurry. So anybody who knows somebody that's on Tuk, you just see them like, you know, uh, running about um, anxiously all the time. And he had a, a, a bag with him. Um, it was like a pick and pay bag or something. And I, my eye caught on this guy. I turned around, I turned my car around and I actually followed him. And I caught him just before he went to the dealer. I looked at him and I pointed my finger at him and I called him. I, I beckoned him to come my way. He looked at me and and like total disbelief, like, why am I calling you? And he came and he said, Auntie, are you calling me? I said, yes, I'm calling you. Just come here, Clement. I said, don't do it. He looked at me, Vasir, his eyes as big as if it was going to pop like marbles, it was going to pop out. And I said, whatever you're going to do, don't do it. He couldn't believe that a normal person had reached out to him. 
scared just a little bit. I said to him, I know you're going in there. I know you're going to go and use. What are you on? You're on Unga. And he looked at me and he said, yes. So I said, I know you're going in there. I know you're going to get a 30 rand for your mommy's new duvets that you've just stolen. But please, I beg you, don't do it. You've got a wife. And he acknowledged. I said, you've got a child? And he said, yes. I said, think about those, your kid at home. What's going to happen to her eventually when you are caught one day because of your stealing? So why did I do it? Am I a mad woman to stop somebody on the road and follow them and give them that little bit of advice? Am I insane? No. If every individual had that bit of compassion in them for that drug addict, maybe somewhere along the line that seed was planted and they'd get help. At, at the end of the day, also, what you're saying is about the humanity of the situation, and, and, and we need to start humanizing it, yes. as opposed to looking at these people, at, like again with the terms. And, and if we mentioned at the beginning, people call them tikkup or junkie, or they've call, they called something else. Mm. And at the end of the day, so by through these stereotypes um, uh, and through these terms, people eject themselves from the situation, and they they don't look at 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 at, at drug addict, at, at addicts as as a human. As a human. I mean. I mean yeah. I mean, look, it's frustrating. People always blame, you know, theft on, on it's, it's probably some, you know, person who's high on something who decided to steal this so they can sell it to a dealer. And and people have experienced this, and, and it is a huge problem in society, and there's a lot of frustration. But as you mentioned, to, the, the problem will only start to get a little bit better if society as a whole starts treat, treating the situation a little bit more differently mm. than, 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 than people have been. I think when we come back from the break, we'll continue, and also maybe towards the end of the program, We'd like to, you know, get some numbers and stuff. People are keen on, you know, looking for help. And some people who are, might might be listening to the show might be have been experimenting with substances, might be addicted, and they are looking for help. And this might be the opportunity for them, you know, that to take that first step. So we'll be talking about and addressing that person after this break. Stay tuned. Live from Cape Town. This is the Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM. 91.3 FM Studio, the Voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And uh, welcome back to MJC Speaks, the final segment. And we'll be looking at the issue of uh, drug addiction, drug counseling um, at the Muslim Judicial Council. And this is in line with International Day Against the Drug Abuse. So we've got quite a few questions on the uh, SMS and WhatsApp lines. Um, and uh, then also there's been one or two that's come through on uh, the uh, SMS line particularly. So one says, Salaam, please. Tell the lady, all Riyab's not the same. My son just completed three months. Alhamdulillah, he's doing well. I visited him in Betis. I visited him in Betis Bay. I must say, I find uh, he, he has been uh, to a few other Riyab's, but this one really very good. Early morning walk, recital, talim, talim, uh, fishing. Alhamdulillah, I must say, uh, so far good. Uh, he went back for the weekend for a program. He needs to attend programs here as they have a halfway house. The Riyab uh, phone every three days to find out how. Son is doing. Alhamdulillah, there is a success story there, mm. and well, uh, I'll grant uh, this person uh, to continue with the goodness, inshallah, and 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 recover uh, and get back to a normal life, inshallah. If I, mean. I can just say on that, um, I I hear the mom, and yes, alhamdulillah, that that he is three months. That's like a huge milestone. Um, rehabs. There are those that you can pay three thousand rand. 
There are those that you can pay 70,000 Rand. It depends on the individual. If you want help, you're going to get it in that dump or you could get it in the one in whichever affluent area. It's completely up to the individual and it's different strokes for different folks. So when you ask the question, must there be willingness? Absolutely. If there's willingness, you have the half of the battle is done already. And so, so, so definitely uh, coming back to the issue of, you know, uh, it must be the person's will. The person must be wanting to change mm-hmm. and it mustn't be the people around that person who want the person to change, but they have no desire to leave the lifestyle um, that they are currently caught up in. Uh, so then also I want to ask the question. So we've got a few minutes left and uh, um, obviously there are people listening from all walks of life and there might be someone listening who is addicted. Yeah, and um, you know, who is fed up with with living the life that they are, and want change, um, and and I don't know how to how to take that first step. What are your words to such a person? If there's somebody out there, and they are tired of this life of using, I'm going to say to that individual, get help right now, whether it is calling Lifeline. Whether it is calling, um, there's also SADAC that has just joined up with the uh, city of Cape Town. There's a, there's a, a toll-free number. But get help immediately because it's so quickly to, for your belief system to change and to that denial to kick in and say the problem's not that bad. So get into a rehab or get, just get help. Phone if you've got a sponsor, phone the sponsor. If you've got a family member that you trust, if there's a mu'alim or a sheikh, go to that person and say, I want help and I want it now. And then just finally, um, you know, so I just, uh, you, you, you are in practice uh, both at the MJC and yeah. also you at the Crawford Wellness Center. So could you leave those details because, you know, the next step is uh, action. Okay. And so, you know, if those people listening out there uh, who, you know, are caught up in this lifestyle and, you know, want to take the first step, uh, contact details for where they can go, you know, to seek help, inshallah. Okay. Um, the MJC's number is 021 You will reach a switchboard and then you could speak to our um, secretary. And my number is 082-456-2125, 082-456-2125. There's also Cape Town Drug Counseling Center, which is an outpatient. Um, you can just Google for that number. And then there's also Sanka, which is also an outpatient. Okay, so yes, uh, uh, once again, um, that number 082-456-2125. That's Shamila Adams Israel, uh, advanced trainer in addictions care, a marriage therapist and family therapist and volunteer counselor at the Muslim Judicial Council, uh, Department of uh, Social Development and director at uh, the Crawford Wellness Center. Then also, we've mentioned Cape Town Delight Counseling Center. Uh, you can contact the MJC directly to speak to the social, de- uh, social development uh, department and uh, then also um yeah i think there's there's so many this there's so many avenues and let's just hope inshallah people take heed and grab onto those and let's help make society a better place also by not 
placing the stigma that we have on drug abuse let's let's try and change things because at the end of the day we are dealing with human beings at the end of the day i want to say uh mrs uh, israel shukran so much for joining us That's this fine. evening in the studio and shedding some light on this topic all the best uh, for the rest of the evening and have a fantastic one shukran, shukran.